What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 59 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Stay hydrated with Body Armor Combo Nation. We are out here. Speaking of Combo Nation, man, shouts to everyone around the world listening to Combo's Court. And shout out to everyone who put in their combo socks, man. We appreciate you. We see you. The continued support has just been amazing, man. Today's show, Harrison Sanford, co-host of Inside the Green Room podcast, joins in. Harrison and Danny Green and the Toronto Raptors co-host Inside the Green Room. You could go check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, man. We talk more about their show on this episode, and we also talk about New York City basketball, the Kawhi and Michael Jordan comparisons, Lou Williams' case for the Hall of Fame, plus so much more. You could follow Harrison on Instagram at Sanford. That's H-I-D-E-F-S-A-N-F-O-R-D. You know you could follow me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to Combos Court, man. Right on your Apple Podcast app. Shout out to everyone who listens on Spotify as well. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. So Harrison Sanford, co-host of Inside the Green Room podcast with Danny Green. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm excited. Looking forward to round two of the 76ers and uh, Raptors series. Round two overall of the playoffs, even though I didn't think uh, that the Warriors series would still be going on with the Clippers. I'm good otherwise. Good. So, you know, I know you're um, a co-host of uh, Danny's podcast. So what's your day-to-day like in terms of reporting on on the NBA? Uh, So right now, my focus is solely on the Raptors, Um, making sure that I know the ins and outs of the team, talking to the players, talking to the coaches, whenever there's media availabilities, obviously watching every game intently. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm watching, you probably know this, I'm watching the, when I'm watching the game, I'm not necessarily watching the basketball anymore. I'm watching right. the actions around the basketball, what movements are happening, just so I can have a greater understanding of the game so that when I talk to Danny on the podcast, um, we could potentially bring that up. Or even that just helps me have further conversations with other coaches and other players uh, to display my understanding of the game, so that I could under, so I could use that within the framework within the podcast. Right. So you started out uh, reporting on high school basketball, correct? Oh man, yeah. So essentially, what happened was I was uh, I was in ninth grade and I was the tallest guy at my school in Long Island, and I thought that I was going to be this one of the star players on the basketball team. I went to the, I went to a school. Um, that went from fifth that went from fifth grade oh from nursery actually all the way to twelfth grade and the high school team was always going to the state championship level always going to the state tournament 
So I just assumed that something was, for whatever reason, I assumed something was in the water. And I assumed that by the time I got to high school, I'd be the next in line because I was the tallest. Well, I stopped growing, <laughs> number one. And then, yeah. and then two, I also realized that, um, also realized that my school recruited players to come to the high school level. Right. Uh, so at that moment in time, I was like, oh, okay. I guess I got to pivot here because it's not Pol- politics started coming into the, into play. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's when I um, started working. So I think it was 11th grade, I, 11th grade. I started working for a company called nyhoops.com. Um, and I traveled around New York city covering basketball, covering Zavarian who had LeVance fields and Chris Taft and covering uh, St. Raymond's who had, um, and what was his name? Something Torres. I forget. Ricky. Ricky Torres. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, who else did I? And obviously St. Mary's that had Danny Green at the time. Right. Um, Cardozo, who had Vic Morris at the time. I'm trying to think who else was a big time name. Jesse Sapp. I covered him his AU seasons. Georgetown. I mean, Good ended guy. Ended up going to yeah. Georgetown. Curtis, and obviously Curtis Kelly and Edgar Sosa, um, who were at Rice. Right. Uh, ended up covering the, like right going to those games, writing articles on um, on their games, and that's kind of how the journalism bug within me got uh, continued to get developed um, because I realized that what my positioning was, I accepted it early. Right. So you know you'd be the perfect person to talk to this about. Um, the perception now is that is that New York City basketball fell off. People around the game, you know, around the New York City high school game, they're their perception is, is that New York City basketball fell off. It, it's kind of hard for me to look at sometimes because, you know, I was looking at the game from younger eyes, and now I'm looking at the game from a person that played the game for a long time. So it, it's kind of hard for me to almost judge when you're looking at it from, like, a for young sure. guy to somebody who already had a professional career, and now it's, like, a totally different lens. So I think you would have a great perspective on it. How much has New York City basketball actually fallen off, if at all? I don't know. I don't know if falling off is the right word. I would just say other places have rised. Okay. Um, that That's, I think, and I don't necessarily know if they rised above, but they have risen. Um, right, just, right. The, 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 the teaching now that can go into basketball and the skill set that's required to excel in the NBA game now um, is so much more open to other pe- other people from other places to get to get a piece of that pie because essentially now if you're not in the if you're not in the, at, at this moment in time either you're an elite ball handler you're a wing that can hit threes and play defense or you're a big right. man, or you're a big man that can crash uh crash into the paint uh, and and finish over the rim and you could potentially switch on pick and rolls or at the, or hopefully even better you could also hit an open three um, right. So with that, or you're yeah. one of those top, or you're one of those top ten guys who just like are just generational or special. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, part of one of the ways that I got into the journalism world, um, I won a I won an essay writing contest. Wow. Um, that allowed me to cover the 2003 NBA draft. It was like my first official NBA, uh, journalism uh, experience, and the essay that I wrote was on the impact of the international of international play on the NBA game. Right. And now and now you look at the NBA, there's so many people from overseas. Uh, there's so many people from all over the world that are a part of the game now. And I just think 
everywhere has risen. Um, so to say maybe New York is not as prominent now, but that does not mean it necessarily fell off. It just meant everybody's getting the piece of the pie now because the skill set has gotten identified in a new way um, that maybe was different from before. You know, it's crazy. I made the exact same point as you is that this was actually just last episode where like, it's not just New York City. Every city has less NBA players because the international contingent is just growing bigger and bigger, you know, in terms of NBA, NBA players. To your point, do you hear this, though? Is this like a narrative or I'm just mistaken that New York City basketball fell off? Uh, you hear it. But when OK, but when you're smart, when you, when you're smart enough, you, you know, you know, not to pay too much attention to. Right. <laughs> it's New York all day for me. I'm a, I'm a true New Yorker. Just wanted to let you know that. No, I, no that's all. I, hey, I'm, I'm all the way with it. I'm all the way with it. And then obviously, too, like a lot of guys don't even get cast as New Yorkers because they go to prep school. Right. You know, 100 percent. And they end up playing. The, they end up playing on the AAU team. That's not quote-unquote based out of new york because you know everybody could play you can play AAU with any team you want to it doesn't matter right 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 based out of um so yeah now i hear it all the time he's smart enough to understand that doesn't just because uh it's not as prominent doesn't mean it fell off i agree man so you're around the raptors and um kendrick perkins just said on a a tv show that uh Kawhi reminds him of mj do you see that yes and it makes it a lot easier to say because Kendrick Perkins isn't the first person to say that. Uh, Greg Popovich was the first person to say that. Just a couple of years ago, he uh, talked about Kawhi having a game similar to MJ. And it seems blasphemous. I get it. Ka- Kawhi Leonard. You know, nobody, should, nobody could ever talk about Michael Jordan, right? Because it's just he's, he's, he's the GOAT in almost everybody's eyes, especially around the time that I was growing up. But if we get back to the initial shock value, if you just look at the way he plays his game, it is very similar. He's a dominant uh, defensive player. I was actually speaking to Marcus Gasol uh, after they ended the series with the Magic, and he said Kawhi is one, one of the few players that he's ever played with other than Tony Allen that can impose his will defensively like he could tell you what you're going to do on the offensive side if he's right with you he can control that so and obviously michael jordan had numerous and patrick teams. beverly's like that now exactly well. yeah yeah imagine if patrick beverly had the, the height and length oh of my kawhi, god of kawhi leonard that'd be crazy exactly <laughs> so from the defensive point i could see that from the offensive standpoint he might not be i mean jordan's hang time was right uniquely gifted to him like he, he's one of the few guys that could hang in the air and switch his hands and right take body contact and all that type of stuff speaking of layup package right that was, exactly. he was crazy with it yeah exactly but in terms of the mid-range efficiency and as and also too like as you watch a guy like james harden play against the jazz uh to finish out the series if you look at Kawhi, he doesn't waste hey, james harden's great no shade at all to james harden but if you yeah. look at Kawhi, he wastes no dribbles every dribble is efficient. He's just trying to get to his spot. And once he gets to his spot, he's going to rise and he's probably going to hit that. He's probably going to hit that mid range jumper. I mean, you're talking about a guy that just lived in the mid range and in the paint shot over 50% from the field uh, in their first round series against, against the magic, his game. Again, the shock value is crazy when you mention anybody with Michael Jordan, but if you look at how he plays the game from a defensive standpoint, from the offensive standpoint, it is similar to Michael Jordan. I know it's crazy to hear, but it's similar. 
to Michael yeah. Jordan in terms of how he plays the game. Now, can he get can he be as great as him? Get six championships and all and and the Finals MVPs? Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe it's too late in the game. But maybe it isn't. Doesn't necessarily mean that his game isn't similar. Yeah. Speaking of Pop, man, what do you feel it is about Pop's system that like that certain players? You know, we've seen Danny, we've seen um, Simmons. Um, Jonathan Simmons, we've seen Derek White, that like guys that might not have got the opportunity before seem to flourish and just get a, a crazy a, a crazy boost in their career after playing for Pop. Just I think, and, and, and as I've watched Danny's uh, career elevate and I've watched him now with the Raptors, I think the most important thing is discipline. And it sounds like so cliche to say, but there's a certain level of discipline that you get when you play with Pop, whether it's when you screen, you actually screen to screen. Not you're not running. Even if the play, even if the play is not coming to your side of the court, you're screening efficiently. If you're running off, if you're running off a down a, a down screen, even though you know you're just you're not the main threat, you are you're positioning yourself to potentially get the ball. And all those little things that players take don't take that take for granted. When you play with pop, you're not allowed to take for granted, or you're sitting on the bench. And when you start playing, when you start treating the game of basketball with a level of professionalism, then it comes back and it rewards you and you just become better at it because you're doing things efficiently and the correct way. Um, and that trans, whether you're with Pop or you're not with him, it translates to any team you go to because you bring a level of professionalism, you bring a, a level of, uh, of preparation to be in the to be available to score or to make a game or to get a rebound or to get a steal and all those little things that you know we take for granted that you can't necessarily see if you just watch, if you're just watching one game out of 82 during the regular season right when you build up that rep- repetition it shows and sometimes it shows in the in the in the biggest moments in the biggest games it's just a it, pop is just great at making sure players are accountable for all the bad things that the bad habits that they might exude with other teams. And when you're playing the game with a high IQ level, I mean, come on now, you don't have to be the greatest athlete to succeed. You know, you don't have to be the, you don't have to uh, have the most talent in the world to be a successful basketball player. If you're the, one of the smartest, you'll definitely have an impact. And that is one thing that, that pop um, instills in all his players. That's unparalleled uh, to a lot of the other coaches in the league. Look, you're part of the media, and I can tell just from this conversation, you're great at what you do. Um, how would you feel? How do you feel about Dame's? Um, not even Dame. Sorry, Russ's attitude or reaction to post game media. As a media member, if I was one of the guys covering the team, I would, I would hate it uh, right. because it makes it hard to tell the stories of the game. And again, like as a member of the media, and I can you know, speak in for media in general. We just want to tell the story. And obviously, yes, yeah, some of them might want to push a narrative and things of that nature. You know, that's part of the, you know, that's part of the job. But the, I think his next question uh, type of mindset is just not fair, to, not necessarily, not even just to the media. I don't think it's fair to the fans. I think the fans do deserve to know what's actually going through the mind of a basketball player, of an athlete that they pay their money to, you know, pay their money to watch in person, that they, you know, set off time in the night, you know, pass up on a night out or pass up on a date or pass right. up dinner with their wife or girlfriends to watch. And you can't get inside of what they're thinking. It's, it's, it's 
I would imagine it's frustrating just right. because you want to get to know these guys. And that's why the NBA does so well, because you get to know these guys. And even this, and there's also a sect of fans, right, who just watch the game just because they want to be entertained. But you don't know how much of that sect of fans wants to actually learn the game. There right, was, right. There was, a, there was a media availability with Kevin Durant, I think it was last week. And he specifically talked about what he would do, what he could do against Patrick Beverly in terms of going one-on-one and what the percentages would be if he went one-on-one with uh, Patrick Beverly. And that's, it's the famous, you know, line where he says, I'm Kevin Durant. If you, if you listen to that whole, uh, that whole spiel that he had, he basically said, if I go at, at Patrick Beverly all night, yeah, I can score X amount of points and I'll probably shoot about 45% from the field. But why would I do that and break up the whole offense? I'm going to score on him regardless without having to bully ball, ice on him the whole game. And when you start teaching the game to the fans, there's even a greater appreciation they have for what you bring to the table. And I think Russ is missing uh, missing out on that because he's so reluctant to open up to the media. Obviously, he is who he is, and I like guys being authentic. I love that, you know, if that's who you are, that's who you are. But I do think he's missing the opportunity because he doesn't seem like a guy that has to be uh, so that, that, that has to neglect uh, the the media. And essentially, when you're neglecting the media, because it's our job to bring your, what there's what athletes are saying to the fans, he's neglecting the fans in a way. And I think he's missing on that. Yeah. And every player, you know, it's almost like you have your own personal brand now. That's how the NBA is. not And like. When you share your thoughts, I think it just helps your brand in the long run, you know? Exactly. You could tell, you know, if you lost, if he, you know, they lost the series and because Dame hit that ridiculous shot. Right. I understand it's hard to talk about it, but I don't think he talked about it in his exit interviews the day, the, you know, the, the following day. Just, hey, man, it's great to, you know, if, if you are hurting or if you are frustrated or if you're disappointed, it's okay to admit it because when you do get over that hill, it, it feels even better. And for fans, they're even rooting for you more because they they know what it feels like to be disappointed. You know, we, he's an athlete, but he's a human. So don't, he can't be, he shouldn't be afraid to connect with, connect with fans and media on his human side because that just makes him more similar to us. And that's what we want. We want to have a connective tissue to anybody that we're following in life. Um, and so it's just, for me, it's disappointing because he's not, seeing that and yes obviously he's getting attacked in the media and he's getting criticized for things he did wrong offensively and defensively yeah but if he can just talk about what happened it doesn't mean that there will be a level of sympathy a level of compassion and a level of connectivity that can go great that can go even higher than it is right now with him if he would be open with what he's going through and so any grudges he has with the media uh, i think he's i mean come on man he's Russell Westbrook, he's still an elite player. He still has elite capabilities in this league. Go ahead, man. Just open up. Tell us how you're feeling. Tell us what's going on, what you saw in the game, what you did in the game, how you felt about it. And let's move on. It's not a big deal. Like at the end of the day, you're still one of the you you're still uniquely positioned as not just a player in the NBA, as one of the best players in the NBA. You <laughs> mentioned it ain't all that bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And you mentioned Dame's shot. Let's shift to him, man. Do you feel like he solidified himself as a top 10 player in the NBA? Uh, I'd have to write down that list. Right. right? <laughs> and so let me, let me even I, – I, I would think – You could go through it. You could go through it. And this is not in any, this is not in any order. Um, right. 
So obviously LeBron is still there. Obviously Giannis is there. So that's two. James Harden, another one. Kawhi. The two guys on the Warriors. Yep. Kawhi makes it three. Two guys in the Warriors. That makes it five. Joel Embiid, six. Anthony Davis, even though people hate on him, you, they are absolutely out of their mind if they don't think he's one of the best players in the league. So that makes seven. Uh, I think Paul George might be better than Kyrie. Kyrie. I think Kyrie's better, man. I mean, I, I love Dame, but Kyrie's oh, different. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, Ky- no, Ky- no, Kyrie's different. I'm trying to see who's who's definitely a hundred percent better than Dame Lillard. Like, I think that I think that game. finals experience kind of just edges, you know, edges yeah. Kyrie. And also Kyrie, he has like I've never seen anything like this where you know how a player has like a patent shot or like James Harden has a step back. Like Kevin Durant obviously has more than that, but he has the hezzy pull up like Kyrie is like patent in like a million ways. You know what I mean? He has yes. like a million patent moves. It's yes. ridiculous. Yes. Okay. So if so, if you wanted to put Kyrie over Dame, I, I mean, I think he is, but I don't think it's I don't think it's unquestioned. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so that would make it nine. So Dame, if he's obviously better than Dame Willard, I would know by I would have said his name already. Right. Exactly. Right? It's just one of those right. things that you just if you know if you know you know. Right. 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 Pusha right. T said it best. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I would say he's definitely in that top 10. I mean, we can get in the debate about Kyrie versus Dan Willard, but he's a top 10 player because I couldn't – if I can't name him off the top of my head, then he's over Dane, then that means he's in the mix, more than likely a top 10 player for sure. I mean, Dane, Dane is so – he's just vicious offensively, and I think a lot of people sl- sleep on how he plays in the pick and roll now this year, how he was effective with Nurkic, his development in that love, in that part of the game. And also his development defensively, where players like we don't have to get into the debate, but Kyrie still gets attacked defensively. These teams have stopped trying to attack Dame Willard um, because he's made uh, improvements on that end of the court. But yeah, he's 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 a big time problem, and his gravity has become Steph Curry like. I mean, it right. always, it always was dangerous. But now, like, when you see him confidently pulling up from 35. Yeah, no conscious. It's unbelievable. When you have a player that can do that, can also finish at the rim, can also work in the pick-and-roll game as a passer or a scorer, I mean, it's, it's, he's a big-time problem. So he's a top-ten player in the league. Let's shift back to the team you're most familiar with, uh, Pascal Siakam. Yep. What, could you, what could you attribute his, his radical improvement to? Well, first of all, you got you got to give credit to the work ethic. Uh, he was all summer grinding in Cali with Rico Hines, um, doing some of those UCLA runs, little private runs they have in in, in LA during the summer. So that would be the first uh, thing I would give an attribute. Uh, first thing I would credit with his uh, improvement. The second thing I would say was playing time, because and playing time slash Nick Nurse because. When Kawhi came in and when Danny came in, you figured, okay, maybe Kawhi's at three, but maybe they're still going to have Serge starting at the four and Jonas Valanciunas starting at the five. But Nick Nurse had told us on the previous episode that he approached Siakam and OG Ananobi and said, hey, listen, there might be some more minutes for you guys as they might try and open the court because he was thinking about moving Serge Ibaka to the five because Serge, he had, he had one of his best offensive years, if not his best, playing at the five because he's just too damn quick for most of them. And his mid-range efficiency is out of control. Um, so playing time. And then the, the the last factor I would say is his ability. He always was able to get up, get up and down the court. He was always able to 
to, to finish at the rim. He's doing it more now because he's getting more minutes. But the big thing that he does now is he is absolutely money, absolutely money in the corners. When right. people not leave him open in the corner. Which is so important in today's NBA. Oh, my goodness. Spacing, spacing I mean, the floor. Spacing the floor. I mean, he, I think his three-point percentage at one point in the season was per, like within percentage points close to Danny Green on corner three-point efficiency. And right now in the play, I mean, obviously, he's, he, I think he might have hit more threes in the, in the playoffs so far than Danny Green. And Danny Green is the Raptors, like, Assigned sniper. I mean, his right. his efficiency from the corners is, is I think it's, it's it has to be over forty three percent or something like that. It's absolutely crazy. So if you have an athlete that can get up and down the court, that has a smart point guard like Kyle Lowry who's finding him on cuts to the rim or on outlets, and he could also be money from the corners on top of the rebounds that he gets on the tip backs, on top of the the mismatches that he'll get every now and again on the post where he can just lay it up over a guy or, or a guy who's who's too slow for him and he has some handle to his game and he can get to the rim and get a layup. I mean, out of nowhere, you look at the box score and he at least has 16 points. I don't think it's like, damn, yeah. they didn't even run any offense for him. And somehow he still has 16 points. You know, I'm not the biggest numbers or math guy, but I'm very interested in analytics. So it, it seems like that if you looked at the Raptors analytically, they have a great chance of – winning the East and even possibly challenging the Warriors, like the way they shoot the three, you know, they have a guy like Kawhi and all that stuff put together. It sounds like analytically they have a great chance this year. Yeah. And I, obviously if you just look at what they did in that last game of the series against the magic, I think they had over, I think they had 40 made field goals. I think they had over 40 made field goals. I think they had over 30, maybe over 33 assists or over definitely over 30 assists. They moved the ball so well. Right, And it translates to layups or open threes. And I think the biggest factor is I, I would challenge anybody to tell me a better team in the league defensively. Like if you look at their starting lineup, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Kawhi right. Leonard, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry. Tell me somebody you want to pick on. Right. No, that's true. That's like, true. There's no the Clippers are great, but that's when you when you put Pascal and Kawhi into the mix, that's like a different animal, you know. It's a different animal. Those guys, yeah, are, yeah. Those, I mean, obviously, from a physical standpoint, Kawhi is long. He has big hands, so his hands are almost sometimes his hands feel like magnets because they could just get the ball. They could just take it from you, or if it's loose, he can he can right. take it out. So you're looking at Kawhi, his physical attributes are out of this world. You look at somebody like Pascal Siakam, his physical attributes are out of this world. Danny's not the not an A level athlete, but he's long. He's and he's smart. And I think with Danny and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Sol, they're obviously Marcus is huge, right? But right. those guys are not necessarily the greatest athletes, but they are so damn smart defensively. And they are not intimidated by guarding somebody. And they bring in a level of intensity and IQ that is just un to combine it and then combine it with two guys with IQ, with defensive athletic ability in Kawhi and Siakam, there is no team in the league that is as talented as the Raptors are defensively. And yes, it's a different NBA where, play, where teams are shooting more threes, uh, the scores are going up, but we still know in the end of the day in a playoff basketball game, it, there are more half-court possessions. And in the half-court, I challenge anybody to tell me who are you going to target? 
defensively. Yeah. Who are you going to say we are going to attack him and make sure that he has to guard our score? There is nobody on the Raptors starting lineup that you want to attack. And that's what I think what makes them uniquely qualified to get to the finals and challenge the Warriors in the finals. I still got the Warriors going to the finals, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, man, I was um, scrolling through Twitter to, uh, earlier this morning and um, I say that to say, to ask you this, what do you feel Lou Will's case is for the whole thing? Listen, man, <laughs> <laughs> listen, man, there, I, I, as I put on my Twitter, there shall be no debate about Lou Will's Hall of Fame qualifications with me. The man is, how many times has he won the Sixth Man of the Year award? He's definitely going to win it again. I mean, yeah. for that, for that alone, for being uniquely, for for probably, I mean, at this point, he. I mean, let's keep it real. At a certain point, if he may, maybe if he does it again, I I wouldn't be surprised if he just named it the Lou Williams Award because he just right. wins the Sixth Man of Year Award all the time. He is uniquely skilled at scoring. He's uniquely skilled at picking up fouls, and he's not a crazy athlete. He's not he's not a like knockdown shooter, right? Like I mean, yeah, he could. I mean, you're never gonna leave him open, but he's not like Steph Curry, Dame Lillard type of. But he always right, yeah. scores the ball. Now it's a little different, right? Because in the, the the basketball Hall of Fame is not as different from like the NFL Hall of Fame, where it could be accounted for all of your achievements, whether it's just from college or whether it's just from the NBA. But if you want to talk about an icon, if you want to talk about somebody who's had an impact on the game, like who left an indelible mark on the game in his role. Like he's one of the, like he's probably one of the best six men of all time. Like obviously, there's probably better players overall that came off the bench, but he's left a role. Um, he's he's left a mark on the league, and the fact that somehow these Clippers have won two games off of these Warriors, thanks to him. I mean, leading the greatest playoff comeback of all time, and then what they did in Game Five last night. I mean, this man is an absolute beast. The fact that they're going to game six, what? That's crazy to me. I mean, and then, obviously, this is not going to help his Hall of Fame case, but then we all know the stories about Lou Will. So. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. Most definitely. Maybe maybe subconsciously it will help his uh, his, uh, Hall of Fame case. You know know. what I'm saying? Maybe he won't won't get an official Hall of Fame, but he's in mind. He's in mind. That's a fact. So, man, um, What's in the future for you and Danny in terms of um, the Inside the Green Room podcast with uh, with Danny and yourself? What, what's in the future for it, and um, where's it going? Uh, so right now, we're getting ready to tape another episode of the podcast uh, right before they start round two against the Sixers. Okay. Uh, they're going to continue to have podcasts as long as they advance. Like, we won't – obviously, there's no way I'm going to – no way we're going to do it in the middle of a series. But once the series is over – right. We will tape another episode. And then obviously in terms of like the long-term future, well, who knows? Because Danny's a free agent this summer. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So obviously the, the plan is to continue the podcast, um, but a lot is going to be dictated about where he goes in terms of how it functions and things of that nature. So that's kind of up in the air. Um, but as long as we want to do it, we're going we're gonna to continue to do it. Uh, but can't tell you where it's going to be delivered from or how it's going to be delivered just because we're kind of waiting to see. Obviously, we're waiting for this playoff series, the, the playoffs, to come to a culmination so that we can get to free agency. Then I could, then I, we would know more about the long-term future of the podcast. Obviously, it'll still be going. But, yeah. hey, but hey, there's a lot of teams out there with money this summer. Um, so 
Obviously Most definitely. The, yeah, obviously the Raptors are a, a, a quality franchise, and obviously with the roster they have now, um, I would be surprised if Danny turned down the opportunity to come back. Um, but then again, we all don't know. I think I think somebody said it the other day. I think over one third of the NBA are free agents this summer. I That's mean, crazy. We're walking into a, we're going to be walking into a whole new league next year. It's going to be a new. This is we're walking into a new segment, a new story, a whole bunch of new. There's always new storylines, right? But it feels like this is going to be a new part of the NBA, a new chapter. Because I, you know, who knows what happens with Kevin Durant, the Warriors. But obviously, if he leaves, then it's really going to feel like we're moving on to the next chapter in the NBA story. Um, and Danny, obviously not as big as Kevin Durant, but he plays a part in that. And obviously, the podcast impacted by what happens with him next. We're, I agree with you. It's going to be a new chapter. But one thing I think that will stay the same, I think LeBron's going to have a breakout season next year because he's just like this adversity is going to, I think, light a fire under him. I mean, yeah. I mean, who, why, who, who wouldn't who wouldn't assume that? I mean, <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. You know, no, some, no. I mean, some people feel like he's going to really decline, I think. Uh, I mean, I, again, this is, and this is the point that I brought up with the Raptors. Sometimes when your IQ is that high, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it doesn't yeah. really doesn't matter. Like, yeah, people might say he might get injured. I mean, I mean, he might like you know not be as le- athletic. Yeah. Okay, his IQ is still supreme. I mean, right, it, it, uh, right, right. If, if going back, going back quickly to the Russell Westbrook thing, you know, a lot of the, his a lot of his shortcomings might come from the lack of emotional intelligence when he's on the court. The the, the feeling that he has to go back at somebody. If this guy hit a three, I got to shoot the three, even though I'm not as good as a three-point shooter. LeBron's emotional intelligence is so high, um, and his intelligence overall is so high, um, that I, I there's no way I would doubt that. I would say, however, that he, the man is getting older. So how can he recover from injuries? Are going in, Maybe injuries don't happen next year, but injuries could happen. And if they happen... How does that impact the team? Who else on the team might be unhealthy at that moment in time when LeBron gets hurt, which I'm not saying he will, but he could. How that has an impact on the team will be very interesting. But, man, listen, this is the first time in a long, long time that he's going to be able to train during the offseason. Right. <laughs> Mentally and mental and physical rest could be great for him. Oh, plus the work man. with the workouts. Man, he could come back as he, he damn. You really think about it, he could come back a better athlete cuz that's just what with, I'm saying. Just with, just with the rest, <laughs> yeah, he could be on a whole uh different level than anybody would assume because of that. But again, he I mean, Father Time, I hate to say it, Father Time is undefeated and it is undefeated. So, uh Most we'll have to wait and see, but I mean, it's LeBron James, you can't deny the possibility of anything. And we got Space Jam coming, so that's a good thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see who the co-stars are, but yeah, it's supposed to be <laughs> right. Funny, right? <laughs> Great stuff, Harrison. Uh, where can we find you on social or, or anywhere else? Uh, so on Twitter, uh, Harrison Sanford. Uh, on Instagram, it's High Def Sanford. I feel like I should probably change that now because it feels a little bit too like uh, AOL screen name-ish. <laughs> 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 But on Instagram, H I D E F, like a high def definition, uh, high definition TV Sanford. Okay. Um, then the podcast is available wherever you can get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that type of stuff inside the green room with Danny Green. And we're also on YouTube video, all the podcasts come in video format. Um, if you search Yahoo Sports Canada on, t- on YouTube, you'll find all of our episodes in video format. And I think uh, a lot of people. 
enjoy watching us. Obviously, he, listening listening to it is the basis of all the podcasts these days. But to see Danny's reactions and our guest reactions to whatever we're talking about and see feel the emotions and all that type of stuff uh, adds a lo- level of value that I think uh, fans or just basketball heads can appreciate. Thanks for being here, Harrison. Man, you're always welcome back on the show. I appreciate it. it was a good conversation. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. Take care. There it is, episode 59. Hope you enjoyed the show. Big shouts to Harrison for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, man. Combo Nation, Combo Nation. It would mean the world to me if you left a five-star rating and let me know how you feel about this episode right on the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. Be on the lookout for episode 60. Combo out.